As I talked about with the children earlier, we celebrate Easter with flowers to remind us of the promise of new life that the resurrection of Jesus brings. That just as the buds on trees and the early flowers make us excited that winter is almost over and that spring is coming, so also the resurrection makes us excited for Jesus to return and make all things new. And Paul uses similar imagery in his letter to the Corinthians to help them better appreciate the promise and the power of the resurrection of Jesus. He connects the idea of the resurrection of Jesus with this first fruits language we heard in our Old Testament reading. Now, even though we live in a more rural area of the country, the concept of first fruits may still be a little unfamiliar to us because we are used to going to the store and buying strawberries in December and watermelon in February. But for the ancient and even not so ancient world, this was impossible. You had to wait until things were in season. And first fruits were the exciting very first examples of what things were now growing and in season. And in our Old Testament reading, we heard that the Israelites were commanded by God to bring these first fruits to the Lord as an offering of thanks. That even though the full harvest was months away, Israel gathered to give thanks to God in anticipation of the harvest that he would bring. And in our sermon text today from 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of a larger crop to come. And so if you will, open up your Bibles or turn in your bulletin to our sermon text for today. It is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 23. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to start in verse 20. Let us hear the word of God. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you speak to us words of hope that our greatest enemies in this life are truly sin and death. And on the cross and in your resurrection, you have defeated them and conquered them. And so, God, I pray that you would use me in spite of my own sin, in spite of my own struggles, in spite of my own weakness, to faithfully and clearly proclaim your word, that you, O Spirit, would go forth in the power of your word and answer to our prayers, and that you would give us ears to hear this good news today that you would open our hearts and minds to receive your word, to comfort and correct and convict us where we need it. And so God, work in us today and grow in us this resurrection hope through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this connection that Paul is making between 
the resurrection and first fruits, we can see that he is drawing three lessons of this connection here. He wants us to see that this is a new kind of fruit. He wants us to see how to identify this fruit and also when to expect this fruit, the timing of its harvest. So first, Paul draws our attention to the fact that this is new fruit. Paul's audience would have understood that some crops grow year after year. And they would look forward to the olives growing or the grapes growing or the wheat or the barley or the figs. And while there would be new first fruits every year, they would be the same kind of fruits as previous years. But the resurrection was something entirely new. It announced the dawning of a new age. On a much smaller scale, you can think about how our world changed on January 9th, 2007. I'm sure all of you have that date memorized as a day that the world changed forever. It was on January 9th, 2007, that Steve Jobs unveiled the first generation iPhone to the public. That up to that point, mobile phones were phones. That's what they were. But Jobs showed this one new thing and demonstrated that it did many things that phones had never, ever done before. And it changed so much. That one phone did not remain one single phone, but it began to be mass-produced and copied and multiplied until our world was transformed by smartphones. Now, I know not all of you have smartphones, and I'm guessing quite a few of them, quite a few of you don't really like them. But you cannot deny the smartphone has changed the world. It did take a handful of years before they became common, but there is very clearly life before and life after. And on that stage in January 2007, Steve Jobs inaugurated the age of the smartphone, changing how we communicate and interact with the world around us. On a much bigger scale, Paul is saying that the resurrection of Christ ushered in a monumental change. The beginning of a brand new thing. The inauguration of an age to come when sin and death will be no more. You see, on previous occasions, people had been miraculously raised from the dead. You can think about Jesus raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. But when he rose from the dead, he would go on to die again. When Jesus was resurrected, though, he rose in a new and better body, one that would never die. And so in this way, Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits of a new age when God would restore the heavens and the earth. That something about the future had broken into the present, showing that human flesh could be raised from the dead, not as a grotesque zombie corpse, but as something better than it had been before death. Jesus' resurrection showed God's ability to make all things new in a world filled with darkness, decay, and death. This is the new kind of fruit we all so desperately desire. We like to try new things that aren't always that new. Maybe it's a new diet that no one's ever heard of in the last 10 years, but we're just getting a healthier version of our same body. Maybe we're trying a new medicine that no one's ever tried before. 
but our body is still able to get sick with disease. But Jesus, His resurrection shows us something better. A body that is untouched by aging, injury, illness, and death. A body forever free from sin, being perfectly holy and righteous. And Paul writes that Christ's resurrection is the first fruits, meaning there is more resurrection like that to come. It is the promise of a new world entirely free from sin, suffering, and death. A world where God's people will enjoy the fullness of God's promises. It is the world we all so desperately desire. And so we then have to wonder, how can we be a part of that new age and world to come? And that's the second image that Paul tries to show us in this first fruits imagery. We need to be of the same kind of fruit. Now, that should make obvious sense to us. Let's imagine you've got some spare land around your house and you're like, I'm going to plant stuff and grow it. And you go out and you plant corn and you plant all that corn and it's wonderful. But every tenth seed, because you're feeling a little frisky, you put an avocado seed in because you've heard the young people like those and they're lucrative. You can make all kinds of money selling avocados. And so you see a few months later, the corn starts to sprout and you're like, oh man, this avocado is going to be next. No, you should not think the avocados are going to grow just because the corn is sprouting. They are very different seeds growing very different fruits that need different climates and different time in order to be fruitful. And so in the same way, Paul wants us to consider, are we of the same crop as Jesus? Are we connected to those first fruits? And he shows that connection in verses 21 and 22. He writes, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So Paul is saying there are two categories of fruits that we can be patterned after. The first type is Adam, that first man whom God created. And we all, by nature of being humans descended from him, belong to that category. Just like you don't get to choose who your parents were, we don't get to choose who we descend from. And so we don't have a choice that we have descended from Adam. And we inherit what he has earned. And that is death. It is because of Adam's sin against God that we all die. That death is a consequence of disobedience. And really, Adam's sin didn't seem all that bad. Adam was not a murderer. Adam did not steal something. Adam was not cruel to people with his words. He did not harm the poor or oppress classes of people. No, Adam disobeyed a direct command from God. He wanted to decide for himself what was right and wrong. He didn't want to listen to God. And because of that, we all die. And Paul contrasts that fruit with Jesus, who brings something far better than Adam. While Adam brought death, Jesus brings the resurrection of the dead. 
And though we all die because of our connection to Adam, those who are connected to Jesus will enjoy the resurrection of the dead. But how? How do you share in those benefits instead of Adam's curses? How do you know you are of that crop that produces resurrection? Well, Paul writes in verse 23, Christ is the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So to share in the resurrection, we must belong to Christ. How do you belong to someone? Well, you could take the puppy route and you try to make yourself extra cute and pathetic so that they take pity on you and adopt you and bring you into their home. That's an option. Or you could take the resume approach and you build a very good resume and you try to work yourself up so you seem really impressive to prove that you are worth belonging to that person. But neither of those approaches work. To belong to Jesus, you must repent of your Adamish ways and trust that without Jesus you have no hope. Because all of us act like Adam by nature. Some of us are more wicked than others but we all want to call the shots. None of us wants to follow God. And so we need to repent of these sinful ways that lead to our death, and we need to trust in Jesus who came and lived and died and rose again so our sins can be forgiven. As we read in the Gospel of John where it says, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. But the last day seems so far away. And that brings us to the third lesson of the first fruits. It's the hardest of the lessons. It deals with the timing. We live between the celebration of the first fruits and the day of the great harvest. We live now under the shadow of Adam, for we all still die. And right now, it seems like that harvest is taking way too long. It seems like those first fruits of Jesus were just an anomaly, and that the first fruits and the full crop will never ever come to fruition. But Paul is saying, trust the promise of first fruits. In verse 23, he says, In Christ shall all be made alive, but each to his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And so the only thing separating his resurrection from ours is timing. Yes, this waiting period between his resurrection and ours seems a lot longer than most harvest periods. But the Lord speaks through Paul to assure us of the promise of first fruits. And this is why, out of all these beautiful flowers here this morning, none of these are my favorite. They're pretty, they smell nice, they do give me a big allergy headache, but none of them are my favorite. Because my favorite flower is the crocus. Every winter, the crocus brings me joy because it is the first flower. I see. There are a few that grow in this flower bed right where I walk from my house to work. And they're yellowish gold, and they bloom even before the daffodils come up. This year I took a picture when it bloomed. That picture was taken on February 13th, nearly two months ago. 
Now, I know we have not had the coldest winter. I know we have not had the snowiest winter, but it has been dreary and cold. And so in mid-February, when you see the crocus popping up out of the ground, it is the promise that warm weather and sunny days and more flowers are coming. The crocus announces that winter's days are numbered. Even more so, Jesus' resurrection announces that death's days are numbered. That a day is coming that what was first seen in His resurrection will be seen all around the world when believers will be resurrected to new and everlasting life. The new age will arrive in all its glory more beautiful than all the flowers of spring. But for now... We still wait. For now, it still feels like winter in our world. And for some of us, we face the fear of our own death. Perhaps we are battling cancer or some other severe illness in our lives. Death hangs like a shadow. For others of us, it's simply year after year we get older, not knowing how long we have to live and when death will finally come for us. For still others, we grieve the deaths of our friends and our family, saddened by the loss of loved ones we miss so dearly. And to those who are feeling such fear or weariness or sadness, look to the promise of firstfruits. And hear what Paul says in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Do you hear that promise? Jesus has in fact been raised from the dead. His resurrection truly happened. It is the basis of our hope in death. And it is such a powerful and sure hope that he describes those believers who have, fall, who have died as those who have fallen asleep because they will not remain dead forever. A day is coming when Jesus shall return in his resurrected body and raise his people from the dead to new and everlasting life with him. Today is not a day we believe in fairy tales. Today is not a day simply for wishful thinking that has no grounds in reality. Today is not a day for bunnies and candy and egg hunts. Today is a day to boldly and confidently look death in the face and say, Your days are numbered. The first fruits of the age to come have sprouted and the rest are coming to full fruition when He returns. And so until that day, do not lose heart. Do not let the darkness of this world cause you to lose hope. Do not be discouraged by the timing that seems so long. Hold on to the promise of first fruits and share it with others. Share the hope we have that they too might belong to Him and be raised on that last day to glory with Him. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for the great promise You give us. 
promise of the resurrection from the dead, not just for Christ and how He rose, but for the promise that we too will rise. Lord, how that can happen makes little sense to us. Our bodies decay and decompose or have been cremated into dust. I don't know how You're going to raise our bodies, but You promise it. You have done the unbelievable and the impossible, and that day is coming when we will be raised to new and everlasting life. And so, Lord, give us that hope. May we see that apart from that hope, we are destined only for death and punishment apart from You and the curse of Adam. Instead, may we hold fast to Christ and so belong to Him, knowing that we have real, certain hope of life after death. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.